Hello, welcome to the third episode of my podcast, Everyday Wife. It's been a while since I've recorded anything, mostly because I had a baby boy um, on January 1st, and I've been adjusting to life with a newborn, and it's so much fun. I love every moment, but I am now just finally getting back into podcasting after a very long hiatus. So welcome. Thank you. I'll do a little introduction. If you're new here, my name is Annalise. I'm 24. I'm a wife and a brand new mother, and I have a page called Feminine Not Feminist on Instagram where I just talk about biblical womanhood and marriage and homemaking and things like that, and I wanted to bring that over to a podcast where I could take topics and flesh them out a lot more than I do on my page. Um, So I'm just sitting here with my little guy, so you might hear some of his sounds, Um, and they're very sweet. But today we're going to talk about this idea of God's will. Um, What is God's will for my life? You know, is God's will something that I need to find? Is it something that I need to discover and then act upon? Um, The fear attached to, am I in God's will? Am I not in God's will? Um, If that's not something you've ever really experienced, this podcast might not be super applicable or helpful, but... I've talked to a lot of people who had a similar experience to mine of wrestling for years with the fear that they were always outside of God's will and that if they made a wrong decision somewhere along the way, the entire trajectory of their life would basically be ruined and it put a lot of pressure on me. So I'm going to share my experience with this question, and then I'm going to talk about truth I've learned along the way that has really freed me up in this regard. So I don't know when this, when I, when I began to think this way exactly, but somewhere along the way, I adopted this idea that God's will was something that I needed to figure out in advance so that I could then act upon it. So for instance, I needed to figure out what kind of job God would want me to have, what kind of, who he would want me to marry, um, what school I should go to. I needed to figure this out and then act upon it. And I didn't just think of this in terms of the really big stuff, like picking a school or a spouse or whatever. I began to become an all-consuming concern of mine to the point that I remember One time I prayed all day about whether or not I should go to volleyball with some friends that night. That was how intense and consuming it was. I was listening to sermons. I was trying to get some sign, something from the Lord to show me that I was clear. I was in the clear to go play volleyball that night with my friends. That's how intense it was. And I actually talked to someone who had a very similar experience, which made me realize If I'm experiencing this, I can't be the only one. There's nothing new under the sun. So I brought this into um, dating relationships um, or, you know, if I liked someone, it was a very, very intense thing. I wasn't so much thinking, you know, is this someone that would make a good husband? Is he mature? Is he whatever? It was like, does God want me to marry this person? And I would pray that God would basically send me a sign or show me some verse that would make it blatantly clear what I was supposed to do. And I do want to say, I think that this 
comes from a desire, a genuine desire to please the Lord. And especially if you're a new believer and you've just begun to walk with the Lord and there's nothing you want more than to please him. Even if you're not a new believer, this should be our desire. We want to please God so badly. We want to know that he is happy or pleased with our decisions and this, that fear of doing something that is displeasing to him. So I think this desire doesn't come from a terrible place necessarily. Um, but we can come up with conclusions from this desire that are not biblical, which I'm going to talk about later. So I, I really began to wrestle through this idea when it came to marriage. And when I met my husband, uh, it was a long process of slowly getting to know each other um, or just even beginning to talk. It was, it was a whole long process and that would be a different podcast. But when I really realized, okay, I like this man, I'd like to marry him. I was so afraid that God did not want me to marry him and would not bless the union. And my particular concern was, is it God's will for my life for me to be single? What does God want me to do? Does he want me to be married? Does he want me to be single? It's kind of interesting because I didn't really think of it in terms of my choice. I thought of it in terms of I need to know the answer to this and then I need to swear off men <laughs> if I'm not supposed to be married and I need to just embrace the single life. Uh, I had this idea that, you know, a spiritual life looked like going overseas and being a single missionary. But I also had met this amazing man. We really liked each other. I thought, you know, maybe we would be a good match. We'd be able to serve the Lord together. I had a desire for children and that was totally new to me um, after thinking for years that the only way to really serve God and be ultra spiritual was to go overseas as a single missionary. So I really labored over this question of whether I should be single or married. And again, I didn't think of it in terms of my choice. I thought of it like I need to get a sign, an answer, and then I need to just m move forward with the answer that I receive. I should also say that I had this idea of sanctification as being basically make yourself as miserable as possible or, you know, the only way to be sanctified is to do the very thing you don't want to do. So I wanted to be married, but, and I had a very strong um, desire for you know, intimacy and marriage and I thought, well, this desire is so strong that it must be bad. And the way to be more sanctified and more holy is to deny myself of this. And um, that was an all-pervading kind of framework that influenced a lot of the decisions I made. Well, what does the scripture say? <laughs> um, because I had constructed this entire idea of God's will of sanctification, of what it looked like to lead a life that was pleasing to God. And yet it was really a figment of my own thoughts um, and church culture and things I had picked up over the years that were so ingrained in me that even when I saw something different in scripture, it was so hard for me to push back to, to it was so hard for me to move past 
this knot in my stomach that, that I had to figure out God's will and do the things I didn't want to do and uh, lead this ascetic single missionary life. Okay, so there were a few things at this point that began to change my mind to help me see much clearer and to give me so much more freedom. And I want to talk about that. Um, I have a, an amazing mentor who has been my mentor for quite a few years now. And uh, she's seen me through a lot of different life stages and she's an incredible woman of God. And I talked to her a lot about my desire to be married and she was so encouraging. And when I said to her, basically, I feel like singleness is this martyrdom kind of thing that I have to go through. Um, and she really helped me understand that um, a desire for intimacy, even sexual intimacy, is not an evil thing. It's a gift from the Lord to be expressed in marriage. And that if I was viewing singleness as my cross to bear, that was not a right way to think about it. So I began to really search the scriptures to see what God has to say about singleness, marriage, and his will, and how those things intertwine and connect, and what it meant for me in my life. And what I found was so surprising, because it didn't fit my... Um, my upbringing in the sense of the things that I sort of had picked up along the way, it didn't fit that. It didn't fit my presuppositions about what a more holy life looked like. And it shocked me. Um, you know, when Paul says that it is better to marry than to burn with passion, and he talks about singleness and marriage as being both good things. And he said some, he says something very interesting, which is, and I'm just going to read it. First Corinthians seven, one, uh, through, through two, says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He goes on to say in verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one from of another. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 7. And then beginning in verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Then beginning in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. So there's, I would just encourage you going and reading the entire chapter. I, I only picked certain verses that um, just to really hone in on those specific points. 
But I kept coming back to this theme that Paul keeps repeating. If you marry, it's not a sin. If your passions are strong and you marry, it's not a sin. Marriage is good. Singleness, in his estimation, is really good because recognizes that one person has one gift and one has another. And instead of condemning the passions um, or, or instead of saying, just you know, try to control yourself and don't marry. Says if if you if it's it's better to marry than to burn with passion, which was a different thing that I had been repeating to myself for years. I need to suppress this. I need to suppress this desire to be married. And there's so much freedom that Paul speaks about. That's what stood out to me when I read this was this element of choice which may sound so obvious to you if, if you're like, yeah, I, I always knew I had the choice to be married or to be single. Of course I have the choice. Um, but that was new to me because it almost sounded like I was given a set of, that I was given the ability to look at my situation and to make the best decision with the information that I had rather than this idea that God was going to drop some note out of the sky telling me to be single or telling me to be married. And then I just make a decision based on that. And I came to realize that this idea of God's will, that he was just going to supply me an answer was basically the opposite of walking by faith rather than walking by sight. If God just tells me somehow, this is what you need to do. That's essentially eliminates the element of walking by faith because I have my answer. I, I can see it. I can hear it. And okay, fine. I'll just do that. Where's the trust component? Uh, where is the component of searching the scriptures for yourself, taking principles of wisdom from his word and making a decision that is wise with the tools you've been given? If you just have an answer and you know what you're supposed to do, it takes away a lot of the element of trusting. And it takes away a lot of the element of applying wisdom and searching the scriptures for wisdom. Furthermore, I also began to realize that this desire I had for basically a glimpse into the future was entirely unchristian. Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed are for us and our children that we might, let me read it for sure to make sure I'm quoting it correctly, that we may do all the words of this law. So the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Basically, the secret things don't belong to me. The secret things, the future. Um, pagan teaching says that we can look into the future that we can basically be fortune tellers, but that's not the way of the life of faith for the Christian. The secret things belong to God. He knows the beginning of the end. He knows the plans he has for us. We don't. But the things that are revealed, so what's been revealed, his word, they're for us and for our children that we may do all the words of this law. And I began to realize that the way to make decisions as a Christian was to look at what had been revealed. Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't pray that God would help us make good decisions or, you know, if you have a terrible, if, 
you're in a relationship with someone and you have absolutely no peace whatsoever. And that, that lack of peace is founded on something scriptural, um, that, you know, you just ignore that or whatever. You just do what you want to do. I'm not talking about that, but I know that a lack of peace can come from having listened to bad theology for so long. And I thought that my lack of peace regarding my husband was the Lord, but really it was just that I had believed, I had believed lies for so many years and I had to retrain my conscience to be sensitive to the things, to the things found in his word and not sensitive to the, the, the expectations of man or even the expectations of my own heart or the expectations of my church culture. I had to recognize that my conscience had to be formed to be discerning. Um, and that, that the only way that happened is by reading the word of God and repeat, preaching the gospel to myself and teaching myself these truths, uh, because the conscience can be worked up over things that are, it can experience false guilt. And I think a lot of people, if you grow up thinking that the only way to be spiritual or to leave, to lead a life that pleases God is to go overseas and to be a missionary or be a martyr, which are wonderful things. But if you grew up thinking that's like really the ultimate goal, then you might feel guilty when you meet someone that you really like and you think maybe I'd like to have a family and Maybe we won't go overseas because that was my exact experience. And when I looked at God's word, what I saw was that I had freedom that like, like Paul repeats again and again, if they marry, they have not sinned. If their passions are strong and they marry, it's no sin. That was so freeing to me. And, you know, you can take this concept and, and not just apply this to marriage, but to so many things in life that we think we need an answer about. So uh, let me just give you an example of what it looks like when you start using the principles of wisdom to guide your decisions and, and moving forward in faith. So let's say that you're looking at two colleges and both are great options. Okay. Let's say they're in two different states and there's pros and cons to each of them. And you're looking at this and you know, you see in scripture in Proverbs specifically, it warns against debt. Okay, so I want to think about what my debt situation is going to be after I go to these schools. Let's take that into account as I make this decision. Debt isn't a sin, um, but the scripture does say that it's a kind of slavery. So let's think about debt. Um, let's think about what my parents think of the decision, not saying they control the decision or whatever, but you have to take into account honoring your father and your mother, and it's good to seek their wisdom if you're in decision if you're making a decision for where to go to school. Um, you take these principles of wisdom throughout Scripture, and they influence your decision. Because for me, I know that the decision of where to go to school for a long time would have been, okay, Lord, tell me which state I need to go in because if I go to the wrong state, I'm not going to read the right man to marry me. And then the trajectory of my life is going to be thrown off because I'm going to have married the wrong man. And that is not a scriptural way of making a decision. We have so many gems of wisdom and we neglect them when we exchange them 
for some kind of secret knowledge that we think is owed to us. If you realized how much freedom you have to make decisions, it changes a lot. That was my experience, was realizing that I had so much freedom within the realm of biblical wisdom that I didn't need to be bound by these chains of constantly searching for a sign or for an answer from above. And to go back to my first example of being so afraid to go to volleyball that night, because what if God doesn't want me to go to volleyball tonight? And then he's going to punish me and this and this. And I just constructed this view of God that was just so, so problematic. Um, and really denied a lot of the free agency that I was given. Um, you know, if you think that you need to get a sign to figure out what to eat for dinner that night, you're living your life in a kind of slavery. Um, what if you actually had the choice to decide what you want to eat for dinner? And you made that choice based on what you would like to eat and what would be good for your body and what you need that day. And it sounds silly. And if you've never experienced this kind of fear before, a lot of what I'm saying might sound like, what are you talking about? This is, you know, this is, nobody lives their life that way, but actually a lot of us do. <laughs> and, or at least we did. And we have to unlearn that. God's secret will about every single choice or decision or everything that's going to happen to you in your life is not yours to figure out. Um, but his revealed will, the things that he desires for us as Christians, as his children, and how we interact with one another and how we live as husbands and wives and daughters and brothers and sisters, that has been told to us. And that's very, very clear. And 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will for us is that we be sanctified, that we be conformed more to the image of Christ. And he tells us what that looks like in his word. And this was my paradigm shift, that I was so busy trying to figure out God's secret will, trying to figure out where I was supposed to go to school or who, blah, 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 who was supposed to marry, that I was actually neglecting the things that he made super, super clear for me to do, to be compassionate to, to others, to honor my father and mother, to be forgiving, to be tenderhearted, to be merciful, to serve one another in love, to practice hospitality. I could go on about all the super, super clear commandments that if we just started with those, if we started with working on being compassionate with people and being forgiving and just set our heart to, to trying to honor God with that, we wouldn't have time to be trying to search out secret things that he hasn't revealed to us. There are so many real sins that we have to repent of that we don't need to start constructing fake ones. Um, and when you operate or when you walk in obedience of loving other people as Christ has loved you and forgiving them of being humble, of honoring your parents, abstaining from 
sexual immorality, when you walk in obedience, the other questions of where you end up and who you marry kind of sort themselves out. And again, I don't want to give this impression that, that, and I want to be careful how I say this, but when my husband and I were dating, I had a lack of peace in a certain area of just, just the doubt of whether or not it was God's will for my life or not. But I did have peace and I did have a sense of, I think the Lord is leading us together. And I don't want to give this impression that, oh, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to seek God about it. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is nowhere in scripture does God promise us a play-by-play rundown of how our lives are going to go. He doesn't promise to tell us how our lives are going to play out if we just pray hard enough. We walk by faith and not by sight, which means sometimes we don't see where we're going. Um, And we have faith that God is, is leading us and guiding us in spite of that. I also think that this, like I kind of said before, but this question of trying to ascertain um, what God's will is rather than focusing on what he's already told us is a form of distraction. I might even go so far as to say spiritual warfare um, of distracting us from the business we are to be about. Because I know that for me, my fears were kind of paralysis. And when you are so paralyzed by fear, you're not going to be very active. You're not going to be very useful necessarily. And when I began to experience the freedom of not being afraid of messing up God's will for my life, I was able to do a lot more. I was able to serve with a lot more joy and freedom instead of uh, kind of staying cooped up in my decision paralysis that fear had me in. When I look at the life that God has for me now, when I look at where I've ended up, my 16-year-old self would be totally shocked and would maybe even think that somewhere along the way I was disobedient because my 16-year-old self could not possibly conceive that God would have a different plan for me than I had planned for myself. And I was so rigid about what it looked like to follow God's will and what it looked like to to live a holy life that I probably would have thought I was disobedient if I had you know told myself at 16 that I would eventually be married and start a family and I even wrote in my journal I found this entry where I basically said I basically and this is when I was in Indonesia in about 2014 but I said Sometimes I think, you know, maybe I'll just get married and have a family and lead that life. But sometimes I think God has more for me was essentially the idea behind this journal entry. And that thinking so pervaded how I viewed things for so long that when God surprised me with a different plan than what I had, I actually had a lot of guilt. and. I wondered if I was being disobedient. And so this line that's kind of come into my mind over the past year or so has been, it's okay for God to surprise you, which sounds obvious. God can do what he wants, right? 
But sometimes when God does what he wants and it doesn't fit your preconceived notions of what your life was supposed to look like, you know, you wonder if you're walking down the wrong path or not. But God can surprise you. He can do something different than you always thought. And I would just encourage anybody who is in the throes of the anxiety over what is God's will for my life, that he has given us 66 books of his revealed will, what he's done in history, what he's going to do, what he is doing. And he has given us so many commandments of what it looks like to become more like Jesus, um, what it looks like to be a disciple and to follow after him. And if we can work on those, we can work on, you know, ha having more humility, loving others sacrificially, um, you know, bridling our tongues, speaking in a way that is wholesome and upbuilding as opposed to tearing people down. All these things that God commands of us, if we can work on that. We don't have time to be diving into the secret things that have not been revealed because there's so much already within revealed scripture to, to work on, to press into, to pray about, and let's set our focus on that. That's, uh, that's sort of what I want to share today, and I hope this is an encouragement. I hope that people that have been bound by fear experience the freedom that God has for us and that the truth sets you free. Thank you so much for listening. I also want to say feel free to share um, if this is helpful for you and feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram, feminine underscore not underscore feminist. Let me know what you think. Um, leave a review if you'd like. I would love to hear if this has been a blessing to you. Lastly, feel free to recommend or send me any requests for a topic that you would like. And my baby's waking up, so we'll end it here. Bye-bye.